Welcome to In Your Area, a podcast designed by area to update, educate, and refresh your knowledge on topics that matter to you as realtors, brokers, and industry stakeholders. Listen on the go, in your car, at a coffee shop, wherever your day takes you. This is a podcast designed with today's busy realtor in mind. And now your host for today's episode, Tom Shear. Welcome to In Your Area, a podcast for Alberta realtors on the move. Podcasting from the boardroom of the Alberta Real Estate Association, I'm your host, Tom Shear. Welcome to this episode, Dower Explained. I'm the broker owner at Royal LePage Realtor Real Estate, and I've been practicing for 19 years, since 2000. I'm passionate about making sure that our clients are well-served in their day-to-day transactions. Joining me today from Parley McClaw LLP Law Firm in Calgary is Bianca Kraft. Bianca, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're here today? Hi. So, uh, my pleasure uh, being here today. Uh, so I'm a partner at Parley McClaws in the Calgary office, and I've been practicing real estate for the last 15 years. All right, thanks, Bianca. So let's talk about a little bit about the Dower Act and some of its history. So the Dower Act is, first of all, provincial legislation. So that legislation was passed as a result of campaigning efforts by a Canadian woman rights activist, Emily Murphy. And Emily Murphy, at the age of 40, She began organizing women's groups where isolated housewives could meet and discuss ideas. And then she started traveling with her husband. And that increased her awareness of the poverty that existed among women across Canada. And uh, during our travels in Alberta, one of the women that she met had been left without a home or money after her husband sold her farm and left her and the children. So upon learning that there was absolutely no legal recourse for women in these situations, Murphy began pressuring the Alberta legislature to pass laws that would allow at that point uh, women to retain legal rights to part of their husband's property. And as a result of all our efforts, uh, the uh, Dower Act was passed in the Alberta legislature in 1917. So... This is a very old act, as we can see, but um, it has seen a few changes. Instead of using wife and husband, the Dower Act uses language such as married person or surviving spouse. So some of the language has been um, updated, but still, uh, this is an older act that needs to be applied in real estate transactions. If we look at the common law, because we have the common law in Alberta, and we also have the Dower Act. So if we look at the common law, the common law gave to wives and husbands certain rights known as dower for the wives and courtesy for the husbands. So dower consisted of the right of a spouse to a life estate after the death of her husband in one third of the lands, which he owned at the time or at any time during the marriage. Courtesy was for husbands, so courtesy consisted of the right of a husband to a life estate after the death of his wife in all lands which she owned at any time during the marriage. So we can already see there was a difference there. But the common law rules no longer apply in Alberta, and that's important to note uh, because they have been replaced by the Dower Act. So the Dower Act grants dower rights to both the husband and wife, and uses the term spouses, as I indicated before. And really, it is the right to prevent uh, disposition of the homestead by one of the spouses. Very good. Thank you very much. Earlier on, dower wasn't necessarily something that was 
commonly mentioned in the contract or, or discussed during negotiations while we were doing our day-to-day -day transactions. It seems like lately uh, it's become more front and center and, and I think it's important to talk about why that's happened. And what we've found is that uh, there were situations in real estate transactions where dower wasn't discussed appropriately or uh, purchasers weren't notified that dower was a concern and then down the line uh, somebody who had dower rights held the transaction up and there were unhappy clients in those transactions and that led to lawsuits against the sellers, against real estate agents and real estate brokerages. And so what area has done is they've wanted to bring that front and center so we talk about it, get it out in front so that people are aware of what could or could not happen. Let's go into some of the common questions we get asked about dower. Mostly, when do we have to do it? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. So one the most important flag I would say for a realtor is the minute he sees that there's only one individual on title, that is a red flag. So the question should be to that individual, are you married or are you single? If the individual can actually say, being the seller, can say that they are single, then the Dower Act will not apply. If the seller indicates that they are married, then at that point, we need to keep going with another question. As have you resided there since the time of your marriage? No. Has your spouse resided there since the time of your marriage? No. Okay. Well, you're good. Yeah. Dower doesn't apply. Let's go back to a seller who tells you, oh yes, we've lived there. So at that point, the spouse will need to consent. So, and we will talk about these forms, but there's going to be a form attached to the listing agreement that should be executed. There's going to be a form attached to the offer that will have to be signed by the non-title spouse. So, uh, and then at the lawyer's office, the spouse will have to come in and the spouse will consent to the disposition of the homestead. If um, the seller says, uh, I am married, but we've never lived there, so he will sign at that point at the lawyer's office a statement or an affidavit, I should call it, indicating that neither myself or my spouse have resided at the property since the time of our marriage. And at that point, this will deal with the Dower Act. I have a couple of questions I want to ask. So if they slept in the property, either party, not together, at any point during the ownership of the property, then Dower would apply. Is that right? That's correct. Dower will apply. Now, it's 2019 and there's different ways that people consider themselves to be married. How do we know if, if they actually are married or not married and, and how that would apply to Dower? So when we say married, they have to be legally married for the Dower Act to apply. So at that point, if you have... Um, people that are, or a couple cohabitating in a property, the Dower Act doesn't apply. If you have adult interdependent partners, the Dower Act does not apply. If you have common law couples, they've been together for three years, and they've been together for five years, 10 years, 20 years, but are never legally married, the Dower Act will not apply. So uh, th that really clarifies when Dower needs to be signed, or who needs to sign Dower, but when does it actually have to be authorized? Does the non-titled spouse have to sign on the listing contract right when the listing is taken? Uh, when do they have to get the exclusive seller representation agreement, dower consent, and acknowledgement form signed? 
Uh, can that be done after or before? When, when does this all need to be acknowledged and documented? In my opinion, the dower should be discussed uh, right uh, at the beginning of a realtor being retained by an individual seller who wishes to list his property for sale. So on the listing agreement, part of the listing agreement, um, or I should say an, an additional page to the listing agreement should be signed, uh, which will address whether this seller is married and uh, whether uh, any uh, dower rights apply to the listing. Okay, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to really give good service to my clients, so I went out and I got my commissioner for oaths uh, and, and uh, to be at a higher level of service. Can I be the commissioner for oaths to uh, authorize the dower consent form, or do I have to go outside to a different party to get that? It is advisable to actually go to another office than your realtor's office if you're a seller. Uh, so the realtor should indicate um, maybe the, the lawyer they're working with or suggest uh, a commissioner that could be used outside uh, of that realtor's office in order to avoid any conflict of interest. Excellent. Now, uh, one of the other questions that uh, I have, and, and it's kind of confusing for some people, is, okay, so the person who is the non-title spouse needs to sign on the listing agreement. Do they have to have their name as the one of the sellers or do they just sign at the end of the contract? Now, so what I would suggest is the listing agreement should be with the seller only. So if it's an individual seller, let's say the husband is selling the property, the husband's name only will appear on the listing agreement. Attached to the listing agreement will be the exclusive seller representation agreement, dower consent and acknowledgement. That's a form uh, by area. And then at that point, that's going to be signed by the non-titled spouse and it will be attached to the listing. Although the listing, as I said, will list only uh, the uh, individual on title. Okay, I have a segue question for you. So can I use this form, the dower consent and acknowledgement form, for the purchase contract? No, it should not be used for the purchase contract. This is not a document that should be kind of an attachment that you carry all over to other agreements. This is uh, uh, this exclusive seller representation agreement should be attached to the listing. Once an offer comes in, again on the offer, only the individual on title will appear as a seller, which is fine. And then at that point, the realtor should use the form that's called Purchase Contract Dower Consent and Acknowledgement, another area form, and this should be signed by uh, the non-titled spouse and attached to the offer. Okay, I have another question, and it's kind of the same question I asked before, but does the non-titled spouse need to be on the purchase contract? So let's say I have John Farmer and Louise Farmer uh, on the as the couple that's selling, but John is only on title. Does Louise have to have her name on the purchase contract? No, the purchase contract should list the individual on title only. So for your example, John Farmer would be listed as a seller. On the uh, very last page of the offer, Louise would consent. And then Louise would also sign the purchase contract that were consent and acknowledgement as an attachment to the offer, confirming that she acknowledges, uh, acknowledges um, our dower rights in the homestead, and she actually consents to the disposition of the property. 
So just so I'm clear, on both the listing agreement and the purchase contract, the non-titled spouse, they just need to sign at the end of the contract. They don't have to initial every page or have their name on the contract. It's just at the end of the contract, right? That's correct. Good. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, now, one of the other questions that people often ask me is, why do I have to do this? <laughs> and what are the repercussions at, at, uh, if, if we don't do this? What, what could happen? Uh, let's say I just kind of forget about it or don't bring it to the attention. What, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario is um, the offer comes to my office. We contact the seller. Let's say your example again. We contact John Farmer and we say you're selling your property. Uh, one of our first questions is always, are you married or single? And if John indicates, oh, I'm married, then we go to the next question of, has anybody resided on this property since the date of your marriage, either you or your spouse? And if the answer is yes, we know that our rights will apply. If Louise, in our example, if the spouse refuses to consent, then we might have a problem where the sale will be held up. Worst case scenario would be that um, if nothing has been signed, for example, the realtor failed to have any dower consent form signed, any acknowledgement of any kind, uh, well, it's going to be at our office that we will have to deal with this. And um, there is a potential for John to lose the sale completely. Because one thing that should be noted is that in the residential real estate purchase contract, um, the uh, buyer has an option to allow for late delivery of consent and acknowledgement by the seller, but while maintaining their right to void that contract. Um, so it is crucial to deal with the dollar rates. A worst case scenario could be uh, a problem of losing the sale. Another scenario would be where we take action and we ask John to sign an affidavit and we try to seek a court order allowing the sale to proceed if the spouse refuses to sign. And at that point, that court order would proceed in master's chambers where we could potentially get an order uh, in order to proceed with the sale. But then the sale proceeds would remain in trust at our office until such time that the two spouses can agree on the disbursements of the sale proceeds. So you can see that it becomes very difficult. It could become very expensive for your client seller. So this is why, again, it is crucial to deal with the Dower Act right at the onset. What should uh, a real estate agent do when they're faced with a situation where someone notifies them, yes, I'm married, there is a, a non-titled spouse that, that I'm not really speaking to anymore. What are some ways to navigate a situation like that? Well, if the realtor and uh, the client seller um, can discuss and try to uh, contact uh, the spouse, that's something that can be done because in any event, this spouse, although maybe they haven't talked for the last 15, 20 years, this spouse will have to consent. Um, another thing that could be done is maybe a phone call to the lawyer will be used on the transaction and at that point retain the services of that lawyer to start dealing with our rights and contacting the spouse to see if a consent will be provided for the sale of the property. Because what we have to remember 
is someone who uh, was married uh, 20, 25 years ago, but they've separated for the last, they've been separated for the last 10 years, that individual is still married. And when the time comes to deal with the dollar rights, and the question is asked, are you married? Even if this individual has been separated for 10, 15 years, they are still married. And the non-titled spouse will have to consent to the disposition of this property, unless it can be shown that this is not a homestead, that the spouse has never lived on the property, or both spouses have never lived on the property since the time of their marriage. Now, uh, as a buyer's real estate agent, what are some of the things that I should look for in a situation like this that are red flags or I should worry my buyer about uh, the dower consent not being signed or, or, or what, are, what are some red flags that we have to watch out for? So acting for a buyer at that point, you're buying this property, you're hoping for a closing on a specific date. If you are aware that there might be some issues with the dower, I would say that the two realtors should speak right away to discuss what the issues are. If realtors are maybe um, not prepared to address it for whatever reason, then I would suggest the buyer should contact their lawyer to see if the lawyer could contact the seller's lawyer as well to actually identify what the issues are with respect to dower. Are the, is the non-title spouse prepared to consent or not? Um, uh, if they expect to have any issues, do they expect that a court order will be required? Do they expect any delays in the closing? So it's just to um, have these discussions prior to closing because when we're one or two days before closing and these issues come up, then it's always unfortunate and the buyer will be uh, potentially delayed in their possession. So that's why we want to try to deal with those issues right away. So I would say discussions between realtors, discussions between lawyers um, as to how any issues with respect to the hour will be addressed. All right, I'm going to go back to an easy question again. What is a commissioner for oaths and where can I find them? So commissioner for oaths, they are appointed by the Alberta government. So if someone, an individual decides, I would like to be a commissioner for oaths, they can go online. And in order to be a commissioner, you need to be appointed by the Alberta government. Like I said, you need to be over 18 years old. You need to be a resident of Alberta and you need to have no criminal records. And at that point, you fill out the form. If you're appointed, you will be able to administer affidavits, declarations, oaths, and affirmations. Um, judges and lawyers are commissioners by virtue of their professions. So if you're looking for someone to commission something, you can always go to a lawyer's office. They will have uh, commissioners uh, for sure in their office. Oftentimes, uh, several legal assistants will be commissioners as well. Um, and I know that in some realtors' office, they will have their own commissioners as well, but it's always important to make sure that you don't end up in a conflict of interest when the time comes for a non-titled non spouse to actually sign uh, the consent form for with respect to dower rights. All right, so this isn't actually a, a dower consent question, but it kind of applies. Uh, I, I Let's say I have a client and... Um, when they buy their property, they're they're single, and um, and they eventually get married to their their partner, and uh, the partner becomes a non-titled spouse. Uh, also, during that period of time, uh, that individual happens to change their name, 
What, what do they need to do to close the transaction appropriately and how would this work? So I would say that um, if both of them are on, uh, on title, so like I said, we're not dealing with our rights here, we're just dealing with the name change. So on the offer, I would say that both of them with their current names, with their married names, is okay. Um, for clarification, if the realtor wants to, to put, for example, again, uh, we have a Louise Farmer. If uh, Louise was Louise Brown in the past, uh, we could certainly put Louise Farmer in brackets, previously known as Louise Brown. Uh, Louise Brown, so at that point, it would kind of clarify a little bit why the title is still, let's say, in Louise Brown's name. When it comes time to deal with uh, the closing documents at the lawyer's office, so on the transfer of land, they uh, will take the case for Louise. So Louise could sign with her maiden name because although she has changed her name, we could certainly prepare the documents under Louise Brown and she would sign with that name. Another option is to have uh, Louise sign uh, with her married name, Louise Farmer, and we could submit a change of name, uh, which is called a marriage transmission, which, which would be uh, registered before the transfer of land comes in. So that would identify why the name change. Another option is for the lawyer in the affidavit of execution, which is attached to the transfer of land, to include the previous and married name. And that's at, at that point, the land titles office will understand, oh, this is why this person went from brown to farmer and then because of that clarification then the transfer of land will be registered. What's the best way to prepare for that? Uh, there's a few options that you ran through but it, what's the easiest way for the clients to be ready? So for the clients to be ready I would say when the realtor notices that oh you have a different name or uh, you got married you changed your name is there a marriage certificate available. We're going to ask our clients to come to the office with their marriage certificate and then at that point we'll make a decision as to whether are they going to sign with their maiden name, are they going to sign a marriage transmission or are we going to put both names. It depends on the documents available but if the realtor could deal with making sure there's a marriage certificate um, that shows the maiden name and the married name then we would be uh, okay to uh, proceed with closing. Thank you Bianca for your words of wisdom. Area members, we want to hear from you. Your feedback and suggestions for future podcast episodes will be critical to making sure we make this the strongest resource to you. We invite you to send that feedback through our communications at albertarealtor.ca. Thanks to all who took the time to listen. We hope to see you next time we are in your area.